the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Text now. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shares tomorrow's news today. You realize that nothing has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In fact, every morning we waken up, some of the first words that should pass our mouths as Christians belonging to the church is perhaps today. My sins are repented of. My obedience is up to date and fresh. Have you said that this morning? Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today we're getting an in-depth look into the Olivet Discourse. Philip calls it a preview to the book of Revelation. So you'll want to pay close attention as we stand beside the disciples to hear what Jesus said about the tribulation and his glorious second coming. This was the last extended teaching Jesus gave to his close circle before he would suffer and die for all mankind. Today's message is called Future Events. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 13. This is the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus outlining and timelining the events of the last days. Have you ever wondered what the future holds? Well, you're about to find out, especially as it relates to the nation of Israel and the Gentile world. So keep your Bible open at Mark 13, a message I've entitled, Future Events, Future Events events. A journalist once asked the 20th century British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, what pushes a government off course? To which he reportedly replied, events, dear boy, events. Well, as we come to Mark chapter 13, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us of a time in the future when certain events that he will detail for us will overtake the world. And those events will herald its end. And they will announce the return of Jesus Christ to earth in power and glory to set up his millennial kingdom where he will reign for 1,000 years from the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem in the land of Israel. These events we'll see in Mark 13 will be natural and national They will unfold with rapidity. They will unfold with intensity. They will engulf the whole world, although they will be centered on the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And here's another thing about these events. No man foresaw them, although the Bible foretold them. What we have in Mark 13 is tomorrow's news today. 
Do you realize that we're about to get a glimpse on earth's final days? Mark 13 shows us that history ends with the return of Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. History ends at Jesus' feet. We see that in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 11, following his death and resurrection and ascension, God has given him a name which is above every name. The Father has exalted the Son, and there's coming a day when Jesus returns that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. History is moving to the feet of Jesus Christ. If you haven't submitted your life to him today, do it today. It may be too late tomorrow. Your future hangs upon what you do with Jesus Christ today because he's the beginning and he's the end. According to the Bible, God will add a full stop to the human story. So let's look at Mark 13. Let's get a glimpse into the last days. Let's see future events. This is what's known as the Olivet Discourse. It was given on the Mount of Olives facing the city of Jerusalem. Some theologians call it the little apocalypse. It's kind of a preview of the book of Revelation. And there are four things we're going to see if you're taking notes. Number one, the setting. Number two, the signs. Number three, the second coming. And number four, the summons. So let's look at the setting. This is verses one through four. Open your Bible and follow along. Then as he went out of the temple, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. That's a reference to the temple that they were leaving behind them as they crossed the Kidron Valley and onto the Mount of Olives. Verse 2, And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Folks, it's Wednesday evening. The Lord Jesus Christ has just completed his public ministry. He will not preach anymore publicly. There'll be no more miracles. Thursday will find him breaking bread with his disciples in celebration of the Passover where he inaugurates the new covenant and the Lord's Supper. Friday, he will be arrested, arranged, flogged, crucified, and killed. And three days later, on Sunday, rise from the dead. That's where we're at in the gospel story as we come to Mark chapter 13. Now, look at the text. As the Lord Jesus exits the city, one of his disciples makes reference to the magnificence of the temple We could get into detail, but take it from me. Historians tell us that the temple stands as a magnificent edifice. You can imagine as the sun sets, and as they cross the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, and they look back on the city, the staggering sight of the temple, maybe glistening in the dying sun. And one of his disciples said, Lord, isn't it magnificent? And to his dismay, and to his utter bemusement, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you about this building. You want to know about this edifice? Not one stone shall be left on another that shall not be thrown down. This is staggering. I mean, Jesus, to some degree, is predicting a kind of Jewish 9-11. 
because the temple was at the heart of the city and it was the heart of the nation's worship before God, although it had become corrupt as we know. And to say it was going to be destroyed was bewildering, but it was a prediction that would come true. Not much more than 40 years later, the Romans would ransack the city of Jerusalem. It would happen under Titus. One million Jews would be put to the sword and the temple would be demolished. It would be a national horror and a national humiliation. So that's what's going on here. It's the setting. Verses 1 and 2. Now you can imagine, as we read on into the text, this answer begs a question. They're reeling from the news that the temple is going to be destroyed. And so Peter, James, and John ask him privately, verse 4, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Now bear in mind that this is a shock to their system because they were imagining the inauguration of the kingdom. I mean, they have struggled with this idea that Jesus is going to die and be killed in three days rise from the dead. They just want to go straight to the kingdom. They've seen Jesus as the Messiah. They're expecting him to elevate Israel, to destroy its enemies. And now Jesus throws this monkey wrench in the works of their thinking. The temple destroyed. And they're left wondering about how the future is going to unfold. Because in their mind, they'd be thinking about Zechariah 14, where we read at the end of time, the nations will come up to the house of God, to the temple, and worship God and his representative, the Messiah. And Israel will know a time of prominence and peace and prosperity. And now Jesus is saying, there's going to be no temple which causes them to think about the end times. Now, it's important that you hear me. Because although Jesus is talking about the near future in the destruction of the temple, when they ask him a question, they're kind of combining several ideas. And one of those ideas is, you know what? Tell us more about this. And given the significance of the temple, they immediately think prophetic. Because if you go to Matthew 24... In verse 3, Matthew helps us to see something that Mark, for some reason, leaves out. It's the same scene. In Matthew's account, we read, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be. And notice this. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Because this talk about the temple's destruction has them thinking end times, prophecy, and the kingdom because they're thinking Zechariah 14. In fact, when you go back to Mark 13 and verse 3, will you notice that they ask this question? Tell us when these things will be, plural. They're associating other events with this event of the destruction of the temple. Because you see, in their mind, they're thinking of one single coming of the Messiah. And this talk of the temple being destroyed is throwing them sideways, and they're going to learn that there are two comings of the Messiah. And there's a long interval in between. He is the suffering servant in the first coming. He is the conquering king in the second coming. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's important. I believe that in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is primarily and fundamentally addressing the end times. Because that's what they have raised. Tell us when you're coming and the end of the age. 
I'm going to suggest something that's very important. This is a little technical today, a little theological, but it's important. Give me your best thinking and your best attention. And I would argue that the Olivet Discourse is primarily Jewish in nature and focused on the last days, the final temple, the appearance of the Antichrist, the return of Jesus to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. The rapture is nowhere to be found in Matthew 24 or in Mark 13. This has no immediate relevance to the church because the church is not being addressed. Now, what I want to do for a moment is to help underscore that I think Jesus has got the distant future in mind here, not the near future. There are those who would argue, men like Hankana, Graf, R.C. Sproul, and others who are moderate preterists, they would argue that what you have in the Olivet Discourse is an outlining of the events that will surround the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. And so they're arguing that this teaching is related to near events. I'm going to argue that it's not related to A.D. 70. Fundamentally, it's related to the end times, to the end of the age, to the coming of the Son of Man. Now let me give you some good reasons, okay? Let's go back for a moment to Matthew 23. This is argument number one for the distant future, not the near future. That is the focus of Mark 13 and Matthew 24. Look at how... Matthew 24 is introduced by Matthew. In Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not come. You weren't willing. See, your house is left you desolate. Just as Jesus cursed the fig tree as a symbol of his judgment on Israel, he's pronouncing judgment on the temple. I mean, it's run by hypocrites false teachers, and it's no longer a house of prayer. It's a den of thieves. But notice this, verse 39, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think any simple, plain reading of that text, you're not going to see me until I come back and Israel acknowledges me truly as the Messiah. You say, Pastor, is that important? I think it's very important because that means that the backdrop to Matthew 24 is the promise of his disappearance and reappearance, which I think moves us beyond AD 70. Here's another argument for the focus being on Israel and the distant future. You will notice when you read Mark 13, back to Mark 13, that you'll find words like synagogue, temple, Judea, and Sabbath. This is not addressed to the church. I believe that this discourse given from the Mount of Olives is focused on the future of Israel, the end times, the city of Jerusalem, the rebuilt temple. Number three, in Mark chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus talks about signs and events that will lead up to his return. And you'll notice that they are not the end, but they are the beginning of the end. In fact, these signs are described as contractions, birth pains. And you know what? Once a woman usually starts contractions and birth pains, while it is not the immediate end, not the immediate delivery of the child, it is the beginning that moves to the end. And I see that Jesus is talking about signs that will mark the end days, that will unfold repeatedly and with intensity, bringing us to the end, the deliverance of a new age, a messianic age. I just think that in itself moves us way beyond AD 70. 
Here's the fourth argument. Before Jesus comes back, and again in relation to the end times spoken about here, one of the signs of the end times will be that the gospel will be preached to all nations. That's verse 10. Do you think that that was fulfilled in AD 70? Not by a long shot. The church was beginning. We're in the first or second generation of church history. No, I think this is a reference to the 144,000 witnesses that will be sealed in Revelation chapter 7, and they will go throughout the earth preaching the gospel in the last days. Here's another argument for it being the distant future. Jesus mentions the word end twice. It's the end of history. It's the end of the tribulation. It's the end that begins with his return. Look at verse 7. But when you hear of wars, rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. Scroll down to verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. The end of what? The end of human history under man's rebellion that will come to an end when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom and all the kingdoms of this world will become like the kingdom of our God. Here's another argument, makes an argument for futurism, for premillennialism, would remind us that this is not a prophecy concerning the near future in AD 70. What is being described here is the distant future and the end of the age. And we read about a desecration in verse 14 that will bump up against Jesus' immediate return to the earth. This is the super sign So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And you'll read about this need to flee the city of Jerusalem. You'll read about verse 19, that in these days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And those days will be shortened. More false Christs will appear, according to verse 21 and 22 and 23. And then look at verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the tribulation that is so horrific that it's shortened, Jesus will appear because the stars of heaven will fall, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the moon will not give its light, and you will see the Son of Man coming in power and glory. What has that got to do with A.D. 70? Jesus didn't come in A.D. 70 nor around that time. This is distant future. Plus, you'll notice in verse 19, these days are unparalleled. For AD 70 to fit into the Olivet Discourse, you would have to argue that the horror and humiliation of AD 70 is unrepeatable. Now, let me go back over what happens. Titus ransacks the city, destroys the temple, puts a million Jews to the sword. That's horrific by any measurement, folks. And I've been in Jerusalem two or three times, and I've heard Jewish historians and guides tell us that story. And we have watched videos about it. It must have been horrific. It was a national 9-11 for the Jewish people. But it says here in verse 19, I want you to mark the end of verse 19, that what goes on in the time that Jesus is describing has not been since the beginning of creation, nor ever shall be. Would you agree with me? that the murder machines established by the Nazis killed over six million Jews, which is more horrific than the ransacking of the city and the destruction of the temple. And that would tell us that AD 70 wasn't the most horrific thing that would befall the city. 
And as horrible as the Holocaust is, it would seem that there are still tougher days ahead for the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. This is the distant future. This is the end times. This is the events that lead up to Jesus' second coming. So it seems to me this is the distant future, not the immediate future. This is the second coming, not AD 70. Preterists are wrong. Premillennialists are right. Now here's an important lesson, just a little footnote that I think is very helpful when it comes to you understanding your Bible. I read an excellent book by Mark Strauss entitled, How to Read the Bible in Changing Times. And then he said something that I found rather provocative. It made me kind of step back. He says, do you realize that the Bible wasn't written to you, but for you? And he's right. Let me explain what he's saying. You see, And I think that's important. When you come to Mark 13, this passage wasn't written to us. I've made an argument it was written to the Jewish people. It was written to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It was written to a people that worship in synagogues and meet in temples. But while it wasn't written to us, it was written for us, and that we get to see the events that will surround the nation of Israel, the Gentile world, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? It would remind us, therefore, that we need to be careful when we're in a passage because that passage may not have direct application to us, but it certainly can have indirect application to us. It's not written to us, but it's written for us. And here's what I take from this. If Jesus is saying to this generation that will be alive to see all of this happen, future, and he tells them, you know what? You better be alert. You better be discerning. You better be faithful. You better be found true to the things I've given you to do. If that's true of the second coming and the signs surround it, indirectly ought not it to be true of you and me as we wait for the rapture of the church, which has no signs attached to it? Do you realize that nothing has to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place? It's signless. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In fact, every morning we waken up, some of the first words that should pass our mouths as Christians belonging to the church is perhaps today. Have you said that this morning? Perhaps today? Jesus could come to the air and call me home. My bags are packed, my bills are paid, my sins are repented of, my obedience is up to date and fresh, my worship is real, my love of the Bible constant. By speaking to the unsaved, a passion. You're listening to Know the Truth, and as Philip DeCourcy said, the Bible was not written to us, but for us. First century Christians were the audience for this prophetic teaching, but it's for us as well. Hear more messages from our Gospel of Mark series online at ktt.org. Well, Giving Tuesday was yesterday, but every day offers us an opportunity to share what really counts, the gospel. And when you give to know the truth, your resources help to bring these clear and convicting Bible messages to the world. Just imagine new listeners tuning in today who've never known Jesus' plan to judge evil and give a glorious future to those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. Help us get this message out year-round when you give a generous donation today. It's easy to sign up online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. And when you give, we'll send you a special resource called Child in the Manger. Many people call it the best book on the real Christmas story they've ever read. It's an instant classic written by Sinclair Ferguson 
and Philip would love to send it to you today. Make a generous gift to Know the Truth, and we'll get it right out to you. Donate online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. You can also give by check, but just remember to request Child in the Manger when you write Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And perhaps today you're ready to sign up to become a Truth Ambassador. Truth Ambassadors commit to giving $25 or more each month. This faithful giving allows us to plan and prepare for the months and years ahead. Sign up online at ktt.org. And when you do, you'll also receive a copy of Child in the Manger. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to come back tomorrow for more Bible teaching about future events right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. IWAVA's Chris Roth, and recently one of our staff members here at WAVA used 50 Floor and could not stop talking about the positive experience they had with their new flooring installation. First, the process is simple and easy. They bring the showroom to you while offering a wide variety of flooring options. No reason to drive all over town. Also, on the day of installation, you don't have to lift a finger. They move your furniture, take up and haul away your old floors, install the new floors, clean up, and then they're out of there. Now, until the end of December, you're going to save big and receive 60% off all carpet, hardwood, laminate, tile, and vinyl. Sale ends when the holidays are over. Plus, if you use the promo code WAVA, you'll receive an extra $100 off. 50 Floor also offers interest-free financing until 2019 if your purchase is paid in full. Call 877-50-FLOOR or go to 50floor.com. Schedule your free in-home estimate. Celebrate the holidays with new floors. Remember to use the promo code WAVA to receive an additional $100 off. Call today, 877-50-FLOOR or 50floor.com. Call 877-50-FLOOR. Pick up the phone. We'll be knocking at your door. Details and licensure at 50floor.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.